Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I got to tell you, uh, me and Joanne love this show called Big Sky. And the thing is, I have so many actors on this show that when I watch a TV show, I always go to IMDb and look these people up. And so I go up and look up this one character named Dono, who I guess you could say is a gentle giant, but he's, he's not gentle when you find out, but he comes across that way. But all of a sudden, I found out that my guest today, who plays Dono, also writes for this show, and he used to write for, or he still might write for Queen of the South, which my old neighbor in Burbank, Mark Valadez, worked for, wrote for. So I sent Mark a message. I said, do you know this guy? He said, yes. And now my guest is Ryan Onan. How you doing, Ryan? Hey, how you doing, Steve? Good. You know, it's funny how it's such a small world. Like when you talk about, you know, Hollywood, um, you know, people, the character actors, you know, different guys like you and the character, the female actors, you know, they get a lot of work. They end up knowing so many people and, and it just blows your mind. That is that is true. I, I find that, you know, as you, as you meet more people, the, the world is actually really small of the people that are are kind of working and you end up knowing you know oh my god i know this pretty yeah i know this one just like all over the place in a really fun way that makes it feel like a you know a bit of family now i, I want to talk about your career but i want to talk about big sky because now did you start writing for big sky the first season tell me the whole how it became where you were a writer and then because Dono shows up in the second season, if I'm correct. I don't think he was in the first season. Yes. So tell me how I that happened. I didn't work in the first season. Okay, so so you go in. Do you go on as a writer and a character, or do you go on as a writer and go, hey, I have an idea for a character? Tell me how that happens, because there's not a lot of people. You've done it on two shows, that uh, that and you've directed a movie you were in, so you, you've had that background. But how did it happen with Big Sky, where you got the job, and then you ended up on screen? <laughs> well... Um, I started off as a as a kind of writer producer on Big Sky on season two. I was hired by Elwood Reed, who's the the showrunner who took over about halfway through season one for David D. Kelly, and uh, I had zero intention of of acting on the show. I you know I was just it was a, a a writing gig, really fun. The room is just a an incredible group of people, just a full on tribe of sweethearts, and. I had done this this once before on this other show. What ended up happening was we were the show had moved from Vancouver to New Mexico to shoot, you know, both shooting for Montana. And uh, you know, they were setting things up, and Elwood said he needed one of the upper-level writers to um, basically be planted on, on set to do a lot of the production work. Somebody had a lot of production experience. And all the other upper levels have like young kids, so so I was like, you know, I'll do that. Uh, you know, I, you know, I was still getting to know Elwood as my as my boss. And he's an incredible writer, um, and so I was like, yeah, I have a lot of production experience. I'll go there to New Mexico. I'll be you know boots on the ground helping this thing get up and running. And he was just like going through roles that would essentially be local hires, and one of them was this sidekick to like the main new bad guy of, the, of season two which was uh this female the daughter of this cartel coming out of uh canada played by janina galvacar and um and he was like and i want you to play this role it was nothing i mean it, the description only said he has dead eyes that that was it 
And I and so I was like, okay, yeah, that'll that'll be fun, you know, getting a little acting, you know, keeping my my chops going. And then I based this character you know, off, slightly off of this punk band that I that I really loved out of Canada. They had this like the lead singer had this thick like Manitoba accent and like a and I based him a little off of my showrunner who's like this big guy but kind of silent has this you know. Um, <laughs> this like kind of imposing feeling about him he doesn't he, he's not like a super talkative guy he's like so I, I just played with these these things and for whatever reason i think partially because he's kind of a comedic role on a on on more of a drama which it was what king george was on queen of the south too so it ended up kind of just the character ended up taking off a little bit i thought he was going to be dead in like one or two episodes and here I am, you know, uh, two seasons later. Well, you know what's funny about it is, and as you watch it, yeah, in the beginning, you know, you're sort of thinking, this guy's like an oaf, you know, like just the, like totally. the guy, he's just the muscle. And, you know, growing up watching mob movies and stuff like that, you know, you have the idea of, you know, just that character. But then, I mean, as it unrolls, I mean, did you help build that character? Like, all of a sudden, he's a great chef. Like, where the hell does that come from? Like, and but, but it, it, it sort of endeared you to the guy because even though he is an awful person, I mean, he would stab you. I mean, he would shoot you, but you don't dislike him. I mean, that's the thing. You know, his his boss the first season. You don't like her. You know, you know, I don't really like Jamie Lynn Seigler. She she pisses me off too with her character. But your character, even though you're like the bad person, you know. You have these qualities. Did you say, "Oh, let's have him cook"? I mean, how did how did that whole angle come in? Because now the guy's like a gourmet, and he, yeah. Tell me how that happened because that, that cracks me up. Because it, it's just, and that's why we like the show because it's crazy. The storylines are crazy, but you it watch is. it. Storylines are very crazy, and you're entertained for an hour. You know, it's like you know, I know someone is like, "Oh, well, it's unrealistic." I'm like, it's TV for Christ's sake. You know, it, it's something like, yeah, like there's going to be. But anyway, so did you develop the cooking part? Because that's just a weird twist to a cold-blooded killer. Um, I can't take credit for that. Elwood, El one of the things that I think landed on my side kind of well is that Elwood, the showrunner, his wife ended up really liking the character. So Elwood, I think, started writing for it more, and he had this idea. He put in this thing about him being a chef and... And that just kind of spot people responded to it. And then suddenly you have this kind of like realm of metaphor to, to work with. And I think just in general, Dono, I put him, you know, slightly on the spectrum. You, you know, I, I, I feel like people can identify with he's definitely an underdog. He's just somebody that wants to do what he's, you know, what he's been told to do and also protect the woman that that he's he's there with. That's his job. And all these stupid things keep getting in the way. And at the end of the day, I think he's actually, I mean, I think he, I picture him as like a very traumatized young man. I think he had a horrific childhood, raised in a closet or something like that. You know, I I think when I first came up with ideas of how I would play him, I, I imagined that he was like raised in a butcher shop. <laughs> you know, so he's he got really good with knives. But the like, you know, he had this like relationship with these animals, but they were all dead. It was, it was messed up. Like, so, so that's where I just kind of started with that, and I, that just 
went into him being fascinated with cooking, maybe the butcher shop and the, and, and stuff like that. But it was a, it was fun to make, but I'm, what's so fun is I don't write everything for Dono. I write some stuff, but like the whole room, like did an incredible job of writing for this character. And it, it, I think the show has a really fun aspect of like quirkiness to it that I think keeps it from being just a, you know, everyday procedural. It has this like oddness to it. And definitely in season three, um, Dono and, and Tanya or Danya, um, I think lend a lot of the, the oddness to it. Now, did you, did you know you were going to be on season three? Because, you know, your old boss disappeared. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Jamie's cycled off. Did you know, like, did they say, okay, here's what's going to happen? Or did you think that season three, you might just be back as a writer? I mean, how did you find out the news that Dono is coming back? Did they just call you and go, you're back? Well, I, I, you know, I am a writer-producer on the show, so so I it wasn't like I got a call from casting saying you're back. It was Elwood saying, I think this character has more life. And it helped that Jamie Lynn Sigler had been made, she was the first person to be, new person to be made a season regular going into season three. And I don't think they'd completely figured out her storyline yet. But she, you know, she needed somebody to talk to. So, so the fact that we'd established this kind of like interesting little relationship in season two of maybe they like each other or maybe maybe Dono likes her, you know, I think their relationship has had such a fun arc because when you start out, he's trying to kill her. I mean, he's like, he hates her. He's trying to kill her. She stabs him in the leg with a, a tree branch. Like he's hobbling after her, w- desperately wanting to kill this girl. And to the point in like season three where they, they have a kiss and that there's like some real love there. I mean, it's a big arc, which has been so fun to play. Now, how is it for you to, you have to hit the writer's room, but then you also have to act. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, you know, I mean, I guess most of the time when you're on set, you have dead time if you're in the show. If it's not your scene, you sit around. But for you, you probably have no dead time because, you know, you guys, don't you write in advance? I mean, I know a lot of sitcom writers, and they write the season in advance. You know, I mean, I would stop, I would do some background. I would stop by, see them, say hi to them, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, we're working on three episodes down. For you, yeah. you it's... As they always say, you know, if you're on the set as an actor, there is a lot of downtime. And you go to your trailer, and now it's changed. You can't go to Crafty and steal all the crunch bars because everything's <laughs> thing. But how is it for you? How would your how would your day be? Would there be some days where you would just just act, or would there be some days you just wrote, or were you doing both each day? Could you go on the fly on your scenes and sort of rewrite? Um, it, it's kind of a little bit of mishmash of uh, of everything, man. It, it's. You know, you're working as a writer. You're hired to work as a writer five days a week. You know, but it's a it's a Zoom room, so which is I'm very thankful for because the fact that I have to be in New Mexico so much. If it if it wasn't an in person room, I would miss so much of it, and I think that would be really difficult to be a writer and do that at the same time. But the thing about Dono Dono's scenes in general is it's not like I'm I'm Catherine Winnick where like or Jensen where I'm like in every scene, in every location, all over the place. If That's really how you can tell what your days are. A lot of my time I spend in that diner or, or that chunk that I was at the camp, and they tend to shoot all of that stuff at the same time, right? In one long day, maybe two days. 
So all of my acting, all, you know, even though I may be all over episode in multiple scenes, they'll probably sh- if it's all if they're all in the diner, they'll shoot that in one day because the diner is kind of a farther farther off, inconvenient location. It's hard to do half a day at the diner and then half a day on the stages. So you kind of you kind of want to put it all together when you're scheduling. So. I would not be in the room if I was shooting all day, but the rest of the time I'm, you know, I'm in the room, I'm contributing ideas, I'm writing scripts. We do a lot of group writing together, you know, so everybody's contributing scenes, which is super, I thought it was all like, oh, wow, that's going to take away the authorship of it. But really the author of these things is, is Elwood. And we're, we're putting this, this stuff up. And suddenly you realize like, as you're producing stuff, of an episode that's not yours. Oh my God, I wrote this scene. Oh, I wrote that scene. And like, a, it's, it tends, ends up being really fun. Um, no, I, I, I want to ask you something just off cuff, a question. I always wondered, uh, Catherine Winnick is Jenny Hoyt, right? Yeah. Okay. Does, does, are they her rock t-shirts? Cause I noticed this. I'm a big rock music. Those are not her okay, I was wondering, cause I always say to my wife, I'm like, Hey, look, she's got that one. Or like, I got that one. And that's just so weird. That's, but that's what makes her so cool. Like this woman is always wearing a rock and roll t-shirt so i guess did someone from wardrobe and like your wardrobe did you have any say because you know you're you dress hip but it's like it's like an awkward hip it's weird I, I, it isn't i like an awkward hip that's i think that's that's a i think you know, as far as Catherine goes we've we've had these amazing costume designers for, for for one thing that i think have really sculpted the way that that the stuff that she wears and you know you know how how much do you is she supposed to dress like a cop but not dress like a cop you know when does she throw on the old flak jacket and when doesn't she you know all that stuff that i'm sure regular cops would watch that and be what the (laughs) (laughs) but we're like you said we're in a make-believe land right so like we're uh, you know we're in this quirky show where this uh this uh, cop does not wear anything related to a cop except maybe a little badge. And she's wearing high heels, <laughs> high heel boots. <laughs> so I think, you know, part of it, you know, it's, it's ABC. This, you know, the guys got to look sexy. The women got to look sexy. Dono is one of the rare ex- exceptions of does not need to be sexy, apparently. Um, but he, I, I do like the stuff that I wear. I mean, he's wearing a lot of fun, like members only. And like, uh, uh, the only say I've really had, you know, as far as like an idea wise for my costume was when we were going up to the camping trip, they had all this camping stuff and nobody really liked the idea of, of Dono wearing this camping gear. <laughs> and, and so, and I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to do. I was like, Oh, it hadn't been approved. And so I had just gone on this trip in between the hiatus with my my brother Spencer, and we were uh, and we'd gone to Hawaii. And in the bottom of my suitcase, I had these like wrinkled on an elemental level uh, Hawaiian shirts. And I was like, I just was like, I have these. If maybe Dono thinks he's going on vacation instead of he going he's going camping, and that ended up being what they, they loved it, and the, and they they ironed them, and then that, that ended up being what the style he wore while he was camping was all like, like more Hawaiian shirts or something. Now you also, you know, you have some, you've had some fighting scenes on there and different scenes. Did they, do they train you for that? Or is that a stunt man or how does that work? Cause I know some people, you know, they love doing, I know actors who've been killed so many times on screen and they'll tell you a story and it's great, but, but you do some, you know, crazy shit. I mean, do you, 
you know, are you do they do you have to get in certain shape for that to make it look? Because it has to look realistic. Dude, it can't do be I like, look like I'm in certain shape? Jesus. Yeah, I mean, you have to be in some <laughs> physical shape. I mean, you, you can't just no, you can't I, be I, a, I you, you can't be muscle. I've done, lot, I've done a lot of stunts throughout my, I'm, you know, playing. I, I so often play some kind of a bad guy, and like you're always do you're always doing something. Um, I, I mean, I, I could put. I, and I'm always getting killed and stuff. Like eventually getting killed, I can make a like a just a full on reel for Mother's Day of like kill scenes that I could send to my mom. One of these days I'm gonna do it. Um, but uh, you know what? I rely as I'm getting older. I rely a lot more on the stunt people. We have some incredible stunt people that like you're some some of them. You're on set and they're wearing a wig that looks just like your hair. And like you look at them, you're like, oh my god! And everybody mistakes them for you, and like, uh, um, so yeah, I I can do some of the stuff. It depends on what, what what it is. If I'm getting down on my knees, my knees aren't super great. So if I'm doing something where I have to get down, oftentimes I'll be like, hey, if if it's a real rough thing, you know, can can we use the stunt guy? And uh, that, which is great because they don't. I don't think they they don't get their like stunt bump unless they actually do the stunt. So if you don't let them do it, I mean, you're just taking money away from the stunt the stunt people. That's the way I think about it. <laughs> so, so how did your whole career start? Did, you know, were, did you want to act first? Did you want to write first? I mean, you know, a lot of times, like I, my background, I did stand up comedy for a long time, and in the late '80s, early '90s, and a lot of comics I knew were like, hey, you know what? We're tired of going on the road. You know. And they would, they would get a sitcom writing job, and it's a nine to five, and they get yeah. good money. And some people, and that came from just convenience. Like, okay, you know, I'm, I don't feel like driving to this. Where, what did you want to do first? Did you want to be an actor first, or a writer, or read like one of those kids that was putting on their own plays and directing the stuff in the backyard when you were like twelve? <laughs> you, you know what? I started out in music. I was like a like singer songwriter in this like indie punk band and like toured around and stuff like that. So I was always writing lyrics and always you know and I start off I wrote stories all the time all the time as a kid. It was like you know something I absolutely loved and I was a voracious reader. But I just I just didn't even really imagine there was a world where I could write professionally in in any way. Um, coming out of music, I think it's so performance oriented that I I was like in my mid twenties and suddenly had this epiphany, like, oh my God, I can't be in a punk band when I'm fifty years old. I just can't do it. Like I wouldn't be able to. so I like suddenly was like, oh my God, I have to do something else. And I went back like full time academics and then ran and then you know, and did that for a few years and then ran across this little theater company that was attached to this junior college that I was going to. And um and then I was like suddenly like, oh God yeah, I forgot, like, I'm supposed to do something artistic. It was, like, just, like, a complete, yeah, you can't, you have to do something like this. So I went into something just as reliable as trying to be trying to be an actor, right? So I, you know, I went to, I got into a really great university, Mason Gross School of the Arts. Um, I was in school with uh, Sebastian Stan, you know, was, like, my roommate, like, uh, um, in New York. We moved out together. Tom Pelfrey was there, who, who was a played uh, Laura Linney's younger brother on Ozark. I mean, just like we were all there in this great program. And, um, but I was going crazy. I was like a little bit older than everybody else. I was, I mean, it was like 11 hours a day, seven days a week. And so I just started writing to like keep myself sane essentially. And I wrote this little play and, and I just started writing a screenplay and, and I had found so much 
joy and love in that creative process. And kind of coming out of school, when I got my agents and started and everything, it was like I had a screenplay that had won this big contest. I had a play that was being kind of produced on, on both coasts. And I was just – so I, I felt I identified more as as a writer, like emotionally, but all of my friends were actors. So we were – and I was trying to be an actor. And I just found, you know, there's a lot of like – you can make so much more money – early on in your career as an actress. My agents really pushed me in that direction, but my heart was always in the writing. And I, more and more as I went along, I went, God, I need some more control over my life. You know, and and the I really wanted to write for TV. And I had this one little gig writing as a writer on Skins, the American version of it. And then I went back to, to acting. And it really wasn't until Noah Hawley, who created Fargo, gave me a chance um, to write on the series that, that he made called Legion, which was about, it was an X-Men story, um, like a Marvel show that really kind of launched my career as a, as a TV writer. And then I went on to Queen of the South and, and Wu-Tang and American Saga and um, Big Sky. Well, you, sold a few things recently of my own. And what you did, because I, I, I was when I was doing my research, I, it's funny that you said about music because I had a feeling that you had a background in music because you, I, you're, you're a movie Brooklyn Brothers beat the uh, best, beat the best, because yes. <laughs> that's about a songwriter. So I thought, you know, if you, if you don't know anything about music, you know, you really can't pull off starring, writing, and directing in a movie about a songwriter because you don't know. I mean, I, I always say, you know, I am fascinated by songwriters. I hear a song and I'm like, holy crap, where did they come up with that? You know. If, writing a joke i can do it in, in two seconds flat a song i had no totally. idea i could never i mean i i've interviewed a lot of musicians so i could write it from that angle but i couldn't direct it or know what's going on but what made you decide to put put that all together and do your own movie well you know what i didn't really leave music because i didn't love it anymore i like i loved music still i just didn't see how i could like you know like have a life and make it make a make a living doing it um but so what, when I stopped playing, like having that be like my you know number one priority, I went to like Guitar Center and bought this like little like uh, um, uh, mixer and stuff like that, so I could record stuff. So over the years, while I was traveling around and moving to the East Coast and all that stuff, I would like write these little songs and with using GarageBand and stuff like that, make these little kind of stuff songs that were like acoustic guitar but i would like the drums were like yeah i would like do the the drum drum loops myself and and i don't know really how to play keyboard but i would just figure out sounds that i liked and 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 um you know i just built these songs like and and so when i i i tried that screenplay that i that i had won this contest with um I tried to get that made, but it, it, I mean, it was like 2007, it had a male Asian lead. It was like impossible to get funding. Like my best friend and I were working on it together and, and, um, eventually I just went, I need to like, after trying so hard, I, I was like, I need to, and I wasn't going to direct that. He was going to direct that. I was like, well, I, I kind of want to direct something. And I, I had just watched the Duplass brothers movie. Uh, the puffy chair their first one and they made it for like 15 grand i was like 15 grand and like this thing like felt like a movie i was like oh my god i was like maybe what if i tried to do that i think i could raise 50 grand 
to make this thing. And I was like, no, uh, you know, I, I, I knew how to write the songs. I could do it just like a little buddy thing. We do it with like little handheld things. And I ended up getting more for it in the end. Like I, I found these amazing inv angel investors and in, in, well, when I was on the festival circuit for something that I had acted in. And we made what I had written for 50 grand. We shot it for like 650 essentially. Like, which is the opposite of usually what happens. Usually you write a movie that should be made for 3 million and you make it for like 500,000 and you're just compromising left and right. It was the complete opposite for this one where I had intentionally built it to, to be made for much, much less money. So I had a lot of freedom as I was making it and it, you know, I, I was able to make it look better and I was able to like get cast that I befriended along the way. You know, even Melissa Leo who played this tiny little character in it, like, like uh, she played my mom in this movie and she was like, I'll just be the person who pours the coffee in the background or something. Like, she was so kind. And, like, a, but her name just being a part of it helped us get the money and, and all that stuff, even though she, she had, like, three lines. Um, and I just wrote that, you know, I wrote all, I wrote, and then a, a friend of mine, Brendan Leach, um, he wrote a, a few of the, you know, some of the songs that are in it. And I wrote, you know, about two-thirds of the songs that were in it, something like that. And I just put together this little love story to songwriting and uh and it, it went to take out into tiff at toronto international film festival and it sold and adam adam yout um his company um oscilloscope is, is bought it it was actually like the last movie that adam yout bought like between him and david fenkel before he died and then um and then and david fenkel left and started a24 and so it was just like this last little crossroads of this movie and um but it came out everywhere it didn't make any money <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, but you but directed it. it. That's the, you know. Okay, so with you, back to your acting, when do you start getting network shows? I know you were on the blacklist. You were in Person of Interest. You were on the the pilot of Justified. Is that true? Oh yeah. So so what happened there? I mean, did you think you're going to be on the whole series, or how does that work? I mean, were you a character? Uh, you definitely don't think you're going to be in the whole series when in the script it's he gets shot in the <laughs> back of the head, like. <laughs> No, and Walton Goggins and I, like, we were both we were both played the bad guys in this in the pilot of Justified, the, the, like these hor these horrible people, and he was killed also, and they but they liked him so much at, that he they ended up bringing him back, and I mean what an incredible thing for him because I mean he spanned because Justified when it started out I think they were really thinking of it as a as a procedural, and like three episodes into it they kind of abandoned that. It feels like they stop. It stops being like the case of of the of the week. And and Walton, I think, and and, and um, the, you know, the, the relationship with him that spans the whole series and makes it really serialized. Um, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I've. That's what you do as a as a working actor. You just try and get a few gigs along the way. I, uh, as far as blacklist, I, I tested five times to play the character that was that Ryan Eggold eventually got on Blacklist, which was her, like, boyfriend in it. it, it you know, like, I had just worked with uh, Joe Carnahan, who, who directed the pilot, and, you know, so many so many stories, like, al along the way of, like, massive roles in shows that, that I was, like, either up for... I mean, it, like, tell me, tell me something because this that's always fascinating because you see it, you know, I and, and you know as an actor, you also there's the roles where they expect you to be on once, and then you're on 
the whole series, you know. But tell me some yeah. of the roles that you were up for, and and when you look back, do you say, I think that person may have been better for it than me, or do you go, man, that's a bunch of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that role was mine, but what, like, what were some of the roles you were up for? Oh, I mean, it's it, it's a there's there's a lot of stuff. I was a, um, I was Frank Darabont's choice for Shane in The Walking Dead. Like, a, I mean, we talked on the phone at, at the time, um, which John Bernthal, and then eventually they 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 were just trying to go to me, but the network wouldn't let him just like give me the role. So then eventually we went to like this big test and then I tested for Rick and, and like there was, I had heard through the casting director and stuff that I was going to be the choice for, for Rick at one point, but then it was like, am I going to be Shane? They were testing all these different actors for both Rick and Shane and me and John Bernthal te- tested together and we became like buddies a- after that, but he was testing for Rick and I was testing for Shane. Like, and I thought to myself out of all the guys here, there was like six of us. I was like, oh my God, John Bernthal is so Shane. I shouldn't, why am I even like, we should switch this right now. It would be so, so much better. Um, but so, you know, that was a, I, I got very close on that. I was, a, I was, it was just between me and, and what's his name for Pope on, on Animal Kingdom. Like the, um, and I remember I was in that audition room and I was feeling like this, this is this is feeling really, really good. I'm really excited. It's just me and this one guy. I recognize him. And I was like, where do I recognize him from? And I looked up and he was John, the, one of the leads of John Wells last series. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it, it's been a ton. I think I've uh, I think I've tested for the for one of the leads, if not the lead of 25 series and have yet to get one. So I'm. Now, still, is, still at it. Is that, I, if I was an actor, I'd look at it two ways. One, is it discouraging because you didn't get it, or you're doing something right, you're just, just that one thing's not there. It's like, you know, when people sit there, I know so many people have had pilots, and they go, oh, I've been in so many pilots, Stephen Weber's, like, I've been in so many pilots, and uh, I'm like, I said, well, you should be proud because you know how many people never got pilots. I mean, a shitload of people are waiting tables 100%. or doing whatever. But how does how do you mentally handle that when you sit there and you know you're in the room? It's not like you're just someone sitting at home going, oh, I can be an actor. You know, oh, yeah, I can, I'm going to make a. You know, you're there, you're up for it, and you've had success. But how do you how do you sit there and just keep pushing? You, you know, I think. You don't. I mean, a. You really don't have a choice. At the at the end of the day, it's it's one or the other. You can either give up or 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 keep going. And and those moments, I think, really are. They're they're both those things. There's there's part of you that's like like fuck. I can't like another one. Like I thought this one was for sure. I mean, I I was. I remember I was up for the lead of that show, Rectified, and like the 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 creator of it hugged me with tears in his eyes after after my my uh after my test and uh, and then it went to the other guy it was just me me and aiden young like the guy who got it and then uh and uh, another one was like a for this like a this comedy on uh i think it was abc it was it was called traffic light and the Again, the, the 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 creators hugged me. They said, "You're so perfect for this world." Like, like, oh my god, we're so excited. And then I then you don't get it. It's just me and one other guy. Like, so 
those are heartbreaking. Some of them you can't get out of bed because they're, they're so, you know, you wanted it. You started, you allowed yourself, yourself to start dreaming a little bit of like what it was going to be or what you would do with it or like what, how your life would potentially change whenever you're testing for that stuff too. Not just that you're like signing, they make you sign the deals beforehand. Right. So you're looking at like the millions of dollars that, that you could potentially make. And then, and then when you don't get it, they snatch it back. So, but at the same time, you are close, right? You're super close to this shit. So, like, you, you just need one yes. You just you, you just keep on going. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, you just kind of love it. I mean, it's it's harder now, like with this auditioning, because I, you know, back in the day, you could. Back in the day, it wasn't even that long ago. Like, you you would go to live auditions, and you would make friends with the casting directors, and even if you didn't get a the job necessarily you would you could make some fans of the director or the producer or the or the especially the casting director while you were there but now it's like everything's just self-tapes and and just being on the other side of it because i'm a writer producer on these shows i i deal with so much casting and you want to like give everybody their due you know like looking at the stuff but so often you're you're like you can it's just an easy click to just go to the next person you know so if you're if you're having a busy day or you're looking at this late at night or early in the morning you got stuff ahead of you you're just clicking through looking for somebody that like right off the bat like stands out to you whereas you know before you'd be in a room and they had to watch your whole audition right. so you had a chance to like win them over like you may not have been what they were looking for when you first went into it but maybe halfway through they go oh my god i did i you know i didn't really think of it like that but Wow. And then they give a chance, you get a chance for them to give you a little adjustment and see if you can change it. If your, if your first attempt wasn't like, wasn't the idea they had in mind, could you adjust to it? Now there's none of that, right? It's just like a tape. That's your only chance to do anything. It is sent into the void and, uh, and it's gone. But like, uh, you know, I, what I, what I've done based off a, a friend, give me this advice. My friend is like, he's like self-declared, horrific at making tapes so he's like i he's like i just tell them i won't make tapes he's like i i won't make a tape i'll i'll do a zoom audition but i won't make a tape like and so i've kind of started trying to do that and so i've been doing the zoom auditions and uh and i've only had two but i booked one of them now do you do you think that when it is the tape and i've heard different people tell different stories okay and some people love them because they can redo it a bunch of times. But like a lot of people, but older actors have been around. Like you said, they love the room, you know, and yeah. like you said, the casting director, you know, that's how you get the part, you know. And sometimes when they like you and they in their mind, they're seeing and they're going, eventually yeah. I'm going to work with this guy. But and they're you, advocating for you. I've yeah. had so many jobs have been through casting directors that have advocated for me. But do you think now that someone can do a taped audition and they can do it? 57 times okay they can keep doing it over and over do you think that will take away the quality of actors getting work because it's like the big thing is with comedy you know someone is a hit on youtube okay so they they headline a show now, i have a good buddy of mine he's done letterman who did letterman, letterman a bunch of times this guy can do an hour and a half on his head and just crush a room but they'll have this person headline the youtuber but then my friend joe will come in as the feature and headline the rest of the nights and will just destroy the crowd and this person will just eat shit because they're not 
versed on what it is to be a comic. It's also the same with musicians. Do you think that that, and you're someone who looks at it both sides, because as you said, you, as a producer, you have input. Do you think that will hurt the talent pool a little bit? You think like before, you know, people, you know, I talked to someone who's, uh, Timothy Buzzfield said that, you know, the reason a lot of the young English actors get work now is because they all go to school. They all go to the theater. They all do this. Do you think it will hurt the acting pool a little bit when, when, when you think about it, when people can sit there and just keep recording? I, I disagree with that, by the way. Like, like what, what, you're, uh, what they said about the British actors. Like, it's not that they just go to, like, I, here's my little tirade on this. Like, I have a, so many British actor friends. Like, they're, like, when I first came to L.A., because I started off in New York, and I, I felt like I knew everybody when I went into auditions, and it was super fun. It was a community I, I was getting a lot of stuff. I felt great. I moved out to L.A. When I moved to L.A., it was all Brits and Australians. I, I went into an audition once, and it was all Australians and, and, an, and an American girl that was sitting next to me. And all everybody knew each other. They were all from Australia. They all It was a small little community. And I look over at the girl next to me, and, and I go, oh, my God, I'm the only guy in here that's not Australian. And we'd been talking for a little bit, and she looks at me, and she goes, and I'm English. And she was just she was just practicing her her accent with me, like I was like, oh god. But I studied I studied acting in London. I studied at the Globe. Like uh, I spent like almost two years out there, and I can say there is just as bad of actors in England. Like, and I'm sure there are in Australia too. But part of what it is, I think, is that they have this like tallest poppy syndrome, right? Where like, you know. Don't be arrogant. Don't think you're better better than you are. It's it's very anti-American. We're like all confidence all day, right? But like that tallest poppy syndrome. What it does though is that the people that 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 take the chance and go across the pond and you know spend all this money and work to get a work visa and like you know they can only have one year to book a job that's going to get them a, you know extend their visa or they're gone. Like right. So what happens is, is you have these people that like have in order for them to feel confident enough to do that, not only did they probably go to school, which so many American actors go to school, um, they have probably been told by everybody how incredible they are. Like they, these are really good actors. If you're a subpar actor from from England, you are not probably getting on the fucking plane like to head to the United States. So we already are getting this like, like Darwinian version where we're only getting the very best that, that have really felt like it's, I think I can make it in America in in this like huge abyss of like Los Angeles, you know, acting. So they, they move here knowing they have one year and they work their fucking asses off. And, and they're also the cream of the crop, but, and even further to come from Australia. Right. So I think that's a big, part of why i mean people just think british actors or australian actors are better is because we're only seeing like the very best of them that that, that come over right that makes sense um, that's my that's my opinion my little tirade on it i love i mean so many of my favorite favorite actors in the world are british but you know it's a i think that's a misnomer that americans aren't as good but i do feel like you what you don't get you do get the Americans that are like maybe the best actor in their little small town that have been told that they're great and they, they're going to move to Hollywood, you know, and like, and so you get all, you know, it's like the America, you also have a whole swath of like 
prom kings and prom queens that like are out here from the states that you don't get probably from uh, from those islands. So now, as, as you're acting away, how does Ray Donovan come about? Ray Donovan, that's a, that's a good question. I think that was just an audition somewhere along the way. Oh yeah, this came from casting directors. So the casting directors, um, I remember this so specifically now. Uh, the casting directors basically reached out to me with these two awesome young casting directors that had done Ray Donovan, you know, for a while. Um, they had worked um, um, John Papsadera, like a, um, was the main casting director, and these two were like under them, and they were just awesome. I, I had a really great relationship with them. And they basically brought me in for this role, and they were like, listen, I don't even, like, know why you're coming in for this. I know, like, it's, it was like, the audition was like two lines or something like that. But they knew that the character was going to be coming back a bunch, right? Um, I just recently did this with, like, another role for my show. I was like, listen, this is one scene. I was, And I went out to a few of my big actor friends. I was like, this is one scene, but I know that that it's going to go on further and and they both turned it down and it went on for like like 11 episodes or something like that and it became incredible they knew it, it was going to like be, become a, a larger role um and and who created the show i was in a van with her actually and she was like, like towards the end of the that season i think it came in in season two and she was like, I love this role. I created this role. I'm, I like, I have all these plans for it going forward. And then she got fired, like as the, <laughs> as the creator of the show. And, uh, and, and the character did not go into to more interesting places. He kind of just chilled out in the, the meetings with the uh, bunchy. Um, whereas like in the first, in the, my first season I was on, like I was brought into that, that party at the family. And like, there was all this like, you know, fun, interesting stuff. I got to interact with the, the rest of the people there. And then uh, um, it, it just, like, her her idea for the character was not whoever's idea that, like, took over. So so you do that. Now, so how does, now Queen of the South, which where you met Valadez, I, it's funny, before we, when I was moving to L.A., uh, he bought my kitchen table. <laughs> he lived right <laughs> next door to me. Um, and uh, were you brought on first as a writer on that or an actor? On? Yes. You, you're brought on as a writer. I, I was brought on as a writer. Um, I mean, I, I when I got that, I had worked so hard to be taken seriously as a as a writer, because there's a big prejudice against actors from the writing TV writing community because so many people have dealt with really difficult actors, myself included at this point, um, and. And every actor, you know, has got a script that they just wrote, you know. So, you know, it, it took me a really long time to be taken seriously. And so when I got that job on Queen of the South, I, I had thought to myself, and this my, my idea was, I'm putting acting aside. I am really focusing on this or I'm not going to be able to make of it what I want to. And so I wasn't even thinking anything about acting on the show. I was just thinking of like doing the best job I possibly could as a writer. And uh, one of the writers, I created this role, like uh, based off this guy that that I that I met at this like Sundance like celebrity poker tournament. Like this big big dude named George that like had a um, he had in 
his dad was like a multi-billionaire and he had inherited all the money when he died but george had so he hadn't inherited any of it and so he just did these crazy thrill things like to you know he didn't care about money at all so it was just like he was like the the head of a speedboat competition team and he would like drive drunk in the mountains in his hummer and like he would fly planes <laughs> it was it was he was such a character and we were looking for this idea of a um of a, a, a smuggler in the show and i was like what if it was kind of something like this guy who just doesn't really care that much about money he more cares about the thrill and i kind of mixed in a little matthew mcconaughey with that and so i was pitching it and i pitched the character of somebody like alec baldwin or john goodman you know somebody big they, i'd written the opening scene for him and he was like big you know you know, chubby dude, like a big belly who was wearing just a speedo with a crown on it. Like, like nothing else. So it's not like you could fat suit this person. Um, and we went out to people. I mean, I had no intention of it. And we were, they were going out to people and they couldn't find somebody for the role. And, uh, one of the writers was like, like, you should do that. You should. And I was like, no, I've, I've worked too hard to, I'm not going to, and then they still couldn't find it. And I would be kind of like pitching stuff and acting out like, you know, and then he goes over here and he does this, like, and the show, um, showrunner at one point was like, would you be interested in doing that? Like, we wouldn't, you know, and uh, I was like, well, if it's the showrunner that's asking me, I was like, I mean, yeah, I mean, and she, I mean, she, she was like, you'd have to put yourself on tape and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, but I, but I knew it would be going directly to her. Um, and I also would have to gain 45 pounds. Like I gained, I put on a 45 pounds of weight, like for this, so. I said yes. I did it. I did not think the role was going to be like I thought it was just going to be a couple episodes, and I thought, oh, this will be interesting to to change my body significantly. Like uh, it would look really different, and I, you know, be captured for all time. And I I gained a little bit of weight and lost weight on a different role, um, and so I thought, oh, that'd be easy. Here I am, dude. Like. Like what, six, seven years later, I still have the weight. <laughs> How do you put 45 pounds on? I know I put some weight on, but that's because I was on this one medication because my heart thing. and then, But then I started going to the gym and walking, so it, it came off. But I was never more than like 15 pounds heavier than I've ever been in my life. How does one yeah. put on? Like, did you sit there and say to yourself, I got to eat like a goddamn pig? Because, I, I mean, how do you put on 45 pounds? Because it's, like it's not like you had like two years to do it. I've I've been skinny kind of my whole whole life. I I, I uh, there was no I have to. It was I get to eat like a goddamn pig, <laughs> and it was like I just ate anything I wanted. I mean, I was eating two pints of ice cream and going to sleep at night. I mean, like Steve, I probably shaved like five years of my life uh, off. You know, bottom of the candle definitely got sliced off. But oh, my my doctor says I'm doing okay. But I'm trying to trying to lose it now, and it's really really hard well i have a question for you do you think if you had not put on the weight you would have gotten ended up in the role of dono that's a really good question i you know i i don't i don't i don't know maybe like uh because the because the role was so not like fully conceived when i when i got it he was just the henchman you know that, that was there like maybe maybe i would have but i think the weight on dono at least in these first two seasons, he's been a part of it. Adds a lot to who he is. Oh yeah, totally. And, right, like the the heaviness of it. I look I look bigger because of it. Like he's a little more imposing. Um, 
And also, I think there's a, uh, there's an element just psychologically that that Dono doesn't think about himself all that much, right? So he's kind of dumpy and he's kind of hunched and like a, and that he's always thinking of the other person. He's always thinking of Ren in the season two and he's always always thinking of Tanya in season three and he's not you know and he loves to eat also. I think that's a that's a part a part of it. But I yeah I think it's a there's definitely this element to him that I think the weight adds to in a way that I that surprised me in some ways. Now, Wu Tang, tell me about Wu Tang, an American saga. Which you got to play Tommy Matola, which uh, I someone just told me a story. How, you, how, how do you know that? What's that? How do you know that? Is it listed? Yeah, it's on IMDb. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wait, um, it's, it's not news. No, it's. I, I mean, I have. I have no idea. I. I, I didn't put it there. Um, I. I did play Tommy Matola. Uh, do I think I played Tommy Matola well? I. I don't know. You, you know, I. I'm. I feel like me just as a person, am very very different than Tommy. I watched a ton of stuff, and I. I really did my. I really did my best on the day, but. Um, you know what I think? I think I struggle with as as an actor. You know, we all have things that we do well and things that we that we don't do well. One of the things that I think I sh I struggle with is being somebody that is like a born king. Somebody somebody that is just just reeks of confidence and just knows they're meant to be here. I've I've always like I think I can play somebody that's that's acting like they have confidence but right below that confidence is a stream of pain and suffering um so I, and i feel like that's kind of quite different than tommy i think tommy sits in his in his world and and like a king and knows that 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 he's meant to be there and i think that i struggled i struggled with that role but i ho hopefully i did I, pu I pulled off some version of it i got my version of it is it tommy Matola in front of the screen i don't think so but it's my version, I guess, of, of, of Tommy Matola. As far as Wu Tang, um, I had worked with the. the it was co-created by uh, RZA from Wu Tang and Alex C, um, who had was an amazing um, feature writer. He had written that movie Watchmen, and uh, and tons and tons of other stuff. He um, uh, Superfly and like, and we had worked together in a mini room on a show for Sony. Um, that didn't end up going, but we really connected. And so he wanted to bring me on to, to Wu-Tang, um, which was a, a perfect timing. Uh, you know, So I ended up still acting on Queen at this time, which I was really lucky. I thought I was going to have to stop, but RZA, RZA's wife really loved Queen of the South and loved King George, so I got to keep doing it, which was <laughs> awesome. Um, and um, the wife's come through for me, man. It's, it's great. Um so so yeah, I worked on that show for two seasons, which was a blast. Especially having come from music, you know, and and really getting to dive into the the music of the '90s when I when I came up, you know, in music, um, and, uh, it, and yeah, that was that was a, that was a blast. And then so I moved on to Big Sky after two seasons because there was such a gap in time between season two and season three because of the pandemic and everything that I was already contracted to Big Sky, so I couldn't go back to season three of, of Wu-Tang. So I think in some ways they were like, well, you can be a part of season three by playing Tommy Matola. So 
Hopefully, I did it justice. Now, is Big Sky picked up for season four? No idea. I mean, it isn't as of right now. We're just waiting. We're waiting to. We probably won't hear until like uh, April, May. That tends to be when they let us know. It's such a pain in the ass, you know, as as a TV watcher. Well, at least for Big Sky, on the first season, you ended in a cliffhanger. This season's not really a cliff. Like we know that Reba Mackin. We we know what happened. You know, I mean, you guys have your little thing in your kiss. Season two wasn't a cliffhanger either. We were we were told they didn't want wait, a cliffhanger. Season one, though, was. I remember. And, and as a yeah. viewer, it sucks when that happens because if the show doesn't get canceled, if it gets canceled, you're like, man, I don't know what happened. You know, it's like if, say, yeah. if, you, if you fall asleep during Chopped. You go, I, I don't know who won. I don't know, you know, who won at the end of the thing. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like you, you can do a big old cliffhanger if... You know your show's coming back for sure. Right. <laughs> you know, I hate, I hate the shows where you're like, there's a massive cliffhanger and then it just got canceled and you're like, what? So, like, so what else do you have going on right now? You're 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 hanging out. You're not you don't know about Big Sky. Um, are you are you writing right now? Are you acting? What are you doing right now? Or planning to do? What's your goal for the next few months? I um I. Uh, I had a novel come out this last year called Winders. It's a sci-fi novel that I'm really proud of. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm about, I want to say two-thirds through my, my next novel, which I'm, I'm really excited about. But I have to get my ass in the seat and just get this first draft done, for the love of God. Um, I've sold two shows, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Like uh, one, I sold off a, a spec script. Um, that I that I wrote, and the other one I sold off of a pitch. It's based off a big comic book, um, and then uh, I just booked a gig on a, on a a very cool show, which I I don't think I can talk about unfortunately. Um, but uh, it's just like a little three episode arc. But I but I'm really excited about it because I love the world of uh, of those shows. So um, so you're a busy guy. Busy, yeah. I'm trying to trying to stay busy. You know, I'm, uh, you know, auditioning when they ask me to or when they reach out. I'm, I'm writing my stuff and and trying to, you know, you know what I've been doing over these last few weeks is I've been in the doing the the showrunner training program, which like they once a year the w, the WGA um, you have to be nominated for it from either an executive or a showrunner. And then you have to go through like a, um, a process of, of applying essays and, and uh, um, interview and, and stuff like that. And then they choose, usually they choose 20 this year, they choose 30 of us, um, 20 from drama and 20 and one in 10 from comedy. And we're just getting these like, it's all day long on Saturday and it's all these amazing showrunners that are coming in and they talk to us about everything and like, like about building your own show. I mean, it's everyone from John Wells to Sean Ryan to, to, uh, um, um, I mean, just uh, Angela King, um, Mike Shore. I mean, it's just like one awesome person after the next. And it's been such a, um, incredible learning experience. Um, so I, I've been kind of focusing on that and, and if one of my shows were to go, I'm hoping that I'd be in a in a good enough position to be like a, a strong leader on on one of those things. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I want I want to thank you for uh, coming on. Now I know you're on Twitter and you're in, on Instagram. Give your information. Uh, my Twitter handle is I am Ryan Onan, 
And then uh, my Instagram is Onan the Barbarian. All right. So people go <laughs> check Ryan out. And if you haven't watched Big Sky, watch it. It's fun. You know, it, it's it's a fun show. And that's all I'm going to say. And it's got blood and it's got drugs and it's got sex. And it's, <laughs> what else can you ask for on a TV show? I mean, I'm, you know, and it's and you don't sit there and go, oh, my God, this is so heavy. You actually enjoy it. And his character's great. We really enjoy his character, me and Joanne. And, uh, Thank you, brother. People, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 945 episodes there. Uh, email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter, it's at coopertalk. Instagram, it's at coopertalk1. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.